Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the fire and burn. Come as the light and reveal. Come as the wind and cleanse. Convict, convert, and consecrate us until we are wholly thine. Amen. This morning, we get a second crack at Easter. Really, we get an Easter do-over every single Sunday. That's why we do a lot of the same things every week at church and say the same sorts of prayers and come up for communion and blessings. Because every seven days, we need to be reminded of the truth of Easter all over again. Our gospel passage today, taken from the testimony of John, is Jesus giving a sort of instruction manual of the Holy Spirit. A few chapters later, Jesus breathes on his disciples on Easter Day and declares to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Other New Testament writers connect the coming of the Holy Spirit with Pentecost, a religious feast in both Jewish and Christian traditions, drawing parallels to the gifts God gives his people in the Ten Commandments on Sinai and of the Holy Spirit, as well as the thanksgiving for a successful harvest and the divine protection and blessing of food safely signified, food safety signified. With all this meaning whirling around us, I want to focus this morning on Jesus' directions surrounding the gift and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus shares these words as he's gathered around the table at the Last Supper with his disciples, where he institutes Holy Communion, which we'll undertake in a few minutes. So if you would, imagine yourself seated with Jesus at this table, And keep in the back of your mind and heart what you know very well Jesus is facing the next day. His death of shame and defeat on the cross, brought on him by the betrayal of one of y'all's best friends for a little bag of coin. Keep in your mind, too, as you sit here, what awaits our brother Peter in the coming hours. as he will face questions about who he believes in and trusts, whether he's been a witness to all these events, and whether, most importantly of all, he would stake his life on the truth of what he's seen and heard and even practiced himself. Come, take a seat at the table. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says, You are to testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. Whenever it was in your own journey that God, you first noticed that God called you, whenever you first started to think of the divine coming along next to you, God has never, ever been far from your elbow or your heart, not even from the moment of your very conception. 
God stays close to you because of God's great love for you. Indeed, Jesus himself doesn't only give testimony to this truth. Jesus is the flesh and blood evidence of this truth. Jesus is God, come into the middle of humanity, unable to stay away. And further, the Holy Spirit is the abiding presence of God in and through and with each human heart. Not every human heart is soft toward or will accept this transforming love, this abiding closeness. Evidence of that hard truth is shown through the betrayal of Jesus and his crucifixion. Just in between the verses assigned in the lectionary, the very first verses of chapter 16, which are cut out, Jesus warns his disciples that there will be people in the days and months and years to come who will think of themselves as just and right to exclude and persecute and even to kill the followers of Jesus, those who are committed to the incarnational love of God. That's what leads Jesus to tell us in verse 4, because I have said these things to you, not in verse 4, it's a little bit further, 6 maybe, sorrow has filled your hearts. It is the unadorned truth that following the way of Jesus, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God made flesh in Jesus Christ. It's not a bloodless or easy or painless way to choose. But I have come to believe in the words of Peter that, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. And so Jesus promises that God the Father and God the Son will not leave their beloved creation without help, without comfort, without nourishment and strength and courage and breath to empower. And further, when this comforter, this advocate, this breath of life comes, Jesus tells us next that the Holy Spirit will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit, that breath of life active in each one of our souls, proves the world wrong about sin because they do not believe in Jesus. One of the ways that sin and the forces of evil and death seek to twist God's good law given at Sinai, that great event with an echo here in the gift of the Holy Spirit, is that any kind of law must be punitive. A lawgiver must somehow be searching to trip up everyone, smashing them under their thumb. This is not true of God. And in our most faithful moments as God's good creation, we're able to enact and uphold laws that further the flourishing of life and community rather than tearing us apart. The United States is far from perfect in this respect with some laws that divide or that promote death. But there are also laws which draw us together as Jesus' hands and feet in the world. 
And so the action of the Holy Spirit sparks greater conflict between the powers of light and the powers of darkness. Jesus says that he came not to bring peace, but a sword. And that is nowhere more clear than when God takes up humanity as a vessel of his great love, warring against the powers of division, of death, of injustice, and of self-seeking safety. Underlining Jesus's message of comfort and hope, but not of rosy-tinted glasses and lollipops, the Holy Spirit, he affirms, will prove the world wrong, too, about righteousness and judgment. These big words and even bigger ideals with great power in any society and no less in our own situation today. Righteousness is truly measured by one's love and treatment of one's neighbors and especially of any person who has less power than you yourself enjoy. Righteousness is not accredited by success or achievement in the world's rat race, but in noticing and lifting up people who often fade into the background of our everyday lives. In leading you to voice and to champion and amplify those who are not heard, in listening closely and patiently to those who long to be understood. These are the activities that make Jesus infamous. This is the love that got Jesus killed. Righteousness for a Christian looks very much like defeat and disgrace and even desolation. And the reason that righteousness can look like desolation is that the conflict which the Holy Spirit brings to a head between the followers of Jesus and the world It doesn't depend on some great future moment of extrication for Christians. The judgment which the Holy Spirit proves wrong has already happened. In Jesus, God moves through death, overcomes evil, defeats sin. On Easter morning, the judgment was over. The verdict had already come in. The darkness did not win. The world with its lies of security in wealth or in skin color or in education or in virility or in zip code is crushed under the weight of God's great love. So now, my brothers and sisters, we live in a moment after judgment the moment when God has already poured out his great love of his Holy Spirit upon his sons and his daughters, the moment when the world groans in birth pangs, as our brother Paul puts it in our epistle lesson from Romans this morning, the travail is already over, even as we feel ourselves in its midst. And that is why Jesus ends by telling us, his disciples, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. It is not only as we walk through the birth pangs of this present time, as we experience the travail of evil's death, 
against the unquenchable fire of God's love. This battle that is waged in each of our hearts, even this very morning, that God in the Holy Spirit is able to reveal the strength and depth and full power of his love only as we experience the battle. The pain allows us to bear the comfort and the strength and the power which God pours out through his Holy Spirit as we depend on him to carry us and to nourish us in the war which we endure. And so we are promised that when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. All truth is made clear to each person as we submit to the sacrificial and life-giving love of God in Jesus Christ. It's only through the transforming perspective of that love that we're able to make sense of all that God has already revealed to us in Scripture and in creation. It's only through the prism of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection, this word incarnate, this love incarnate, that we are able to receive the gift of God's perfect vision and his all-surpassing purposes. So, on this day of Pentecost, the celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit, this do-over of Easter, of which each and every Sunday, and indeed, my brothers and sisters, each and every single morning on which the sun rises is an echo. Let us find ourselves committed again to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is Jesus Christ. Will you join me in giving voice to our faith, in using the breath of life to speak the words of truth, that fiery commitment which leads us to the cross and indeed to are the words of eternal life? Please stand. The Nicene Creed is found on page 326 in the Book of Common Prayer. <clears throat> 